Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What's going on, everybody? This is the Talking Texas podcast. My name is Daniel. It's Double H Halfold. Hey, everyone, it's Carl Anker. And you guys are tuned into our Group B preview. Go back and listen to yesterday's episode for Group A. But today we have Group B. And we're going to start this one with Iran. Now, there were rumors that they might get kicked out. I don't think that's that's likely to happen. Yeah, I mean, um, come on. What do you make of Iran in this tournament in terms of the uprest that's going on in their country. Do you think Iran has the capacity to maybe bring people together in some way? At least I was speaking to two Iranians. Football is the one thing that brings the whole country together. And I said, I literally like there are people pretty much dying on the streets because there was like a thing where they wore their tracksuits but didn't show their badge. So they covered the badge to pretty much show solidarity with the women who are pretty much like routing. And so the Iranian government has sort of like threatened to even pull their team from the World Cup if the players actually protest. So they said that it would actually be a much more powerful message if these Iranian players go because whatever has happened with Russia, they say it starts to do with the government, but for the people and so forth, they're having a whole separate battle <laughs> that they're having. So it's like, you know, it would actually be a much more powerful statement if they were to go and bring light to what is happening in Iran, you know, so. When you bring nations into things, it's hard to divorce the government from the football team in many ways. What a national team represents to different aspects of society is different. <laughs> Not that I'm trying to be profound or anything, but yeah, it's, I don't know, it's a tricky one. Carlos Queiroz is a dangerous football manager. <laughs> wait, wait, so this, so, so, who is he's, the manager that, that keeps on hopping from team to team? Is it Queiroz so or someone else? This is, this is Queiroz's second stint in charge of okay. Iran. Uh, he's previously managed Colombia, Egypt as well. Manchester United fans view Kiros really fondly because he was the person Ferguson got in to basically go help me conquer Europe. Is ex-Real Madrid assistant manager. He also had a very bad time as the head coach of Real Madrid. But in international football, he is a sufferable manager. Kiros teams have more in common with Greece 2004, with Portugal 2016, Ugh. with France in 2018, and with England at Euros, right? These are teams that we don't care about entertainment. We just want to win games 1-0 and will be as boring as possible as long as we get wins. Iran will begin their World Cup tournament by playing England on 21st. 
And I don't think that's going to be a good game to watch in the nicest way, in, in that both of those teams are very much going to just try and just smother the space and make sure it's not that entertaining. I reached out to the Golbazan podcast and I was lucky enough to speak with Aria Alaverdi. And this is the conversation that I have with him. My name is Arya Alaverdi. I'm from Golbazan Podcast. You can find us on social media at Golbazan. You can find our podcast on all podcast platforms and on YouTube. Just type in Golbazan. And we're also on our website, golbazanpodcast.com. Football is, is the biggest sport in the country. There's a massive uh, culture within the game. Obviously, the league itself in Iran is uh, massively well-supported. Obviously, you, you'll, you'll know the big clubs like Esterlal, Perspolis, Teraktor, Sepahan. Uh, these are some of the biggest clubs in Iran who have, you know, millions and millions of supporters all over the world. You know, uh, they can get tons of crowds. Ultimately, the national team is a is a massive uh, thing for the country. You know, been to three World Cups in a row now. You know, people are excited to see them play in the World Cup. There has been a lot of negativity around this team uh, without, I don't think, too much of a doubt as well because of course what's happening in Iran I think people are tuning in on the on the protests and, and all these things happening so I can understand people are, are less inclined to support the national team at this point however it's the biggest sport in the country no doubt about that I do think social uprest and upheaval it can go one of either way it can be a, a unifying mm. thing or it can be yeah. even even more of a dividing thing how do you see this world cup being used we were at the Senegal game um there were protests outside the stadium and a lot of them were against the national team in, in the sense that they didn't want the players to play for the national team. They believe that they're playing for the government and they should be representing the people and that they should be, you know, not playing for this team, essentially. But that's the protests that were happening. A good portion of Iranians right now are unhappy that that's happening, but also on the other side of things, yes, there is the inter- international exposure being at a World Cup, it does get a lot of eyes on Iran. Whether that's good or bad for the protests could be both, because obviously there will be protests at the World Cup. There will be people protesting there, uh, and that will get attention from media. But at the same time, as I said, people are, people believe that they're playing for the government more than they are playing for the people. It's kind of hard to, to put your finger on what benefit football has on these issues right now because it's quite complicated one to discuss and it's not one you can have a, a simple answer for but it's going to be an interesting one to see how they how they react to it how the players react to it at the world cup carlos Queiroz, he's been in colombia he's been in egypt but he's synonymous with the iranian national team so how is it having him back after he left Obviously, it was great because from a performance standpoint, we're not playing to the standard we were expecting of this team. You know, we've been at two World Cups in a row. We did quite well in 2018. When you look at teams we had in our group, we did really well to get to what we got to in terms of points and results. Obviously, a bit of luck and it could have we could have went to the second round. However, it didn't happen. And we were hoping, building on that successful in terms of result and performance standpoint, hoping that that would translate into good performances and qualification. And there were some good performances and qualification under our previous coach, Dragan Skocic, who did a good job because he got us to the World Cup. And there's no doubt about that. No one's taking that away from him. But ultimately, towards the end of the qualification run, and even our last friendly with him against Algeria, we didn't play well. 
we didn't play well at all. You know, it doesn't it didn't look good. I think it was a necessity to make a change, although it seemed like a bit harsh because he from a results perspective, he'd done so well. But if you really look at the games and you watch them with a, a microscope, I don't think you would say that he shouldn't have been sacked. I think sacking him wasn't a necessity in, in the sense that we would have definitely lost the World Cup if we had stayed. But it was a necessity because we had an opportunity to, to do much better than we did than we, than we could have done. Cairo should come back and he's done really well in his two friendly matches against Uruguay and Senegal. Looked really impressive. The team looks very organized. We are in a good position to do well. How far do you think Iran can go? But then how far do you think they will go? Having considered the two friendly matches we played against Uruguay and Senegal, we beat Uruguay 1-0. We drew 1-1 with Senegal. They had very strong teams uh, playing against us. It looked very impressive. Considering how our opponents are playing, uh, England haven't had a good good recent run of form since March. Do not want a game. USA not playing the best either. And Wales not playing that great either. Of course, we played a bad game against Algeria, but we made a change and we brought in Carlos Queiroz and we're looking good now. So I think we could... Definitely finish second place, as for example. That's the objective anyway for this team. But we still have to be realistic because the English team is still strong. It doesn't mean that just because they're playing bad in their continent that they're going to lose to us. No, that's not the case. But I think we can be confident that we have a better chance now. This is Iran's sixth World Cup. If, if I've written it down correctly, 78, 98, 2006, and obviously the last two. And as you say, they were really close in the last World Cup. But when you have a group with Portugal and Spain, things are obviously a bit tricky. Is there an expectation to get out of this group? With England are obviously the favorites, but then Wales and United States are a bit... Mm. I hope so. I think I think the U.S. are beatable. Uh, I mean, you've been saying it to a lot, of, a lot of Americans. I've been on American other American podcasts that have said, I think Iran can beat the U.S. I think if we have our strongest team playing at a good level, I think we beat the U.S. every day. Honestly, but the U.S. have a great team as well. They can punish us if they come and they play to their high standard. They could punish if we are caught sleeping. The Welsh team, I believe, a very well organized team. When Rob Page took over from Ryan Giggs, I think he's looked like a, a good international coach. Okay, the results haven't been there all the time, but he's done well. First of all, getting him to the World Cup, but also making sure that. The whole Ryan Gig situation hasn't really leaked into the team and it's still a solid team. No doubt about that. And the English team is is the English team. You know, we um, we actually interviewed Gareth Sefkut yesterday and I'm sure they're confident that they, they should be confident. But I think they're also going to be cautious because that first game against Iran is so important. If they can't win that game, it's going to be difficult for them. This group at the end of the day is a very high-pressure group. You've got countries... England, USA, England, Wales. Those are big matches from an external standpoint. It's been big, big matches from, from a political standpoint because they're massive in general. It's just just the name England, USA. It's massive, but then to play each other at a World Cup. Last time they played each other in the World Cup, what happened was it was it one one. I think it was twenty ten World Cup, and it, you know England didn't win that. So they have to beat Iran. So that that game is very important to them, and it's going to be a lot, a lot of pressure on them. Let's talk about what we might see. On the pitch, how do you see your style of play? And then maybe with that, maybe give me some players to watch. 
So the style of play, especially looking at the last two games again, it looks like we're going to be a bit more on the front foot compared to the previous campaigns under Kairos. I think he wants the players to now a little bit more come out the shell and, and go and press if they can. But I, I do still believe, in my opinion, that Kairos won't be encouraging the whole team to go and press and win the ball back and play really high. Maybe against the US he will. Maybe against Wales a bit less so. But I think definitely not against England. I think against England, we're going to be that defensive team that pisses off the opponents, pardon my French. Um, you know, I think that's the kind of expectation I have from for that for that game. That's the kind of coach Kairos is, and that's the best approach, in my opinion, for that match. And the key players, of course, Taremi, I think, is our key player. You know, looking at him as a individual Playing for Porto just now looks really in great shape. Obviously playing in the Champions League and just looking very, very effective in the final third. Currently, Sardar Osmond has an injury, so I don't know if he'll be fit and ready to go uh, for the first game anyway. We'll see what happens. Hopefully he does. But when he does play, he's also a key player for us too. I think the other key players, I think first of all, one guy who probably doesn't get enough of a shout out internationally is uh, Saeed Zatodlahi, who plays in midfield for us, number six, who currently plays in Denmark. It actually plays in the second tier of Denmark. When he plays for the national team, he's probably one of our most important players. The spine of the team, you know, he he, he he everything goes through him. And the other guy, whether he does play or not, I don't know, but I think deserves to play based on the form that he's been in is uh, Majid Hosseini. Plays in Turkey for Kayseri Spor. Played at 2018 World Cup. Played against Spain and Portugal. Um, looked impressive in those games. Went on to have a kind of a shaky career. Had a couple of few injuries. Had some problems with pace. He didn't really have a lot of pace at some point in his career. He seemed to lose it for some reason. And then he regained it again. And now he's looking a very strong centre-back. And uh, I think he will be an important pillar for this team going to the World Cup. Cool. So, Arya, who do you think is going to win the World Cup? And I will take a run off the table so you don't <laughs> okay, drink anybody. yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, for me, for me, I think, honestly, I think, I think um, Brazil will probably challenge France for the World Cup and I think they'll win it because I think they have a much more complete team than they have had over the years. And I think that's one thing Brazil has been missing is having a complete national team. And they seem to have got that back. The years of Ronaldo, Rivaldo, Ronaldinho, Kaká, all these players, they were so good. They had so many options. You look at the 2010 World Cup, 2014 didn't have all positions filled with quality players only some positions were this time around i think they're really well stacked and they can be very good last question is there anything i haven't asked that you think people should know or might want to know about iran the iranian national team or whatever again i think it's it's very important to highlight what's happening in iran of course the killing of Massa Amini, it's something that we can't hide away from, from a footballing community. We have to acknowledge it because it's important that we acknowledge these things. Football has to take a backseat. We we acknowledge that because it's important for our country that, that these things are, are, inter, are covered internationally. That's the first thing. The second thing is I think 
going to the World Cup third time in a row in our history. It's 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 brilliant for the national team that we've got to the World Cup for the third time in a row. But I think that we're gonna be a bit of a surprise in, in the sense that I feel like people don't expect some players to shine because they don't know them. But I think they will. I think I think actually player players that maybe are lesser known might shine a bit more. Players like Moharami who plays in Dinamo Zagreb, these guys might shine a lot more. Let's hope that they do and um, they, they're successful. Dope. Aria, where can people follow you in your work on Twitter? At Aria underscore Alaverdi. They can find uh, my podcast, Golbazan, at Golbazan, G-O-L-B-E-Z or Z-A-N on Twitter <laughs> and on Instagram. Indeed. Links will be in the description for both Aria and Golbazan. Check their work out. Aria, thank you for doing this, man. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it, my friend. And hopefully we can have you on our podcast as well. Let's talk about Wales. By the way, did you guys see what Gareth Bale did? Or LAFC. Yeah, with LAFC. like That boy's clutch. I I read a stat. Since Gareth Bale went to Real Madrid, he's won a Mm. trophy every season, except the season where he went on loan to Spurs. It's more dig at Spurs, but hey. So shout out to Gareth Bale. I don't know if he's in form or whatnot, but he will pop up with a clutch goal every now and again. So what do you guys think Wales can do in this group? Wales have a very good chance. I mean, as long as Bale is on that pitch, Wales have a very good chance. I mean, I do still feel, if you were to force me, I still feel it should be England and Iran to go through. And remember, Iran came so close Mm -hmm. four years ago. So close, you know, like they were literally a kick away. So I just feel Iran and England, I think they're the two best teams. I mean, we'll get to Trump, but I think <laughs> Wales have have a, a, a really good chance to go through, I think. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm with I've hope here. I think Wales, Wales have a very good chance of, of getting out of this group. I think that England game is going to be big. And uh, every time I see that video of Martin Sheen... Wait, 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 speech from where? Oh, so he, he was on League of Their Own, UK game show, and they asked oh, okay. him... Oh, okay, because I'm currently watching the West Wing, so don't spoil anything. I'm currently watching the West oh, Wing. Oh, sorry, I said Martin Sheen. I meant Michael Sheen. Oh! As in okay. uh, the yeah, Welsh actor. Yeah. You're just uh, getting to West Wing in 2022? Bro, HBO Max is, is helping me out, man. I just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, every time I see that video, I hit play. Uh, it's just a really nice video. That's the sort of stuff the World Cup is good for. He, he's Welsh. Michael Sheen is Welsh. Yes. Okay. Please, please forgive me. I'm, I need to make sure I'm talking about the right machine here. No, 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 no. You're right. Sorry. It is. Because I saw the video on Twitter. It's a Michael Sheen. Yeah, I saw the yeah. video on Twitter. It's a great video. Uh, and yeah, it's their first World Cup in 64 years. And do you know who scored against them in that World Cup 64 must be, years ago? Must be Pele. It was Pele. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got to talk with Hugh Davies, previously of, of 442 Magazine. This is the chat I had with him. Hi, my name's Hugh Davis. Um, I'm a big passionate Wales fan who's followed them all around Europe and also write for 442. Used to be managing editor there and now I'm kind of writing sub for them and their official Wales capacity as well. There's a bit of a debate now about what the national game is in Wales and whether it's rugby or football. Everyone outside of Wales would have said it's rugby. It's the land of rugby, land of song and this kind of thing. But I think the last five, ten years have shown that maybe that's changing. It means a lot to different people in different parts of the country, I'd say. But in terms of what it means now, it's 
grown an absolutely huge kind of second or third or fourth wind, whatever we're on now, qualifying for a World Cup for the first time since 1958. Huge amount of passion behind that. The women's team improving, the youth team's improving, and obviously having such great players. So I think it's picking up a new generation, which is good, but it's always been there. It's just becoming less of a kind of uh, awkward, ugly little brother and more of a proud leader of the family, if you like. The qualifying campaign was pretty impressive, really, because... It may look like, oh yeah, Wales second through the playoffs, whatever. But you, you look at the five-team group and you've got Belgium and the Czech Republic. And the first game is against Belgium. Although Wales' record against Belgium is pretty good, they're still a fantastic team. And so this, the moment you lose that first match, it's like, well, all we can really do here now is go for second. Because one thing Belgium always do is thrash the minnows. So to finish second ahead of the Czechs was a genuinely really good achievement. And then there's a little bit of fortune in that. To, to be seeded at home for the semi-final against Austria, that was our undoing. That was our achievement for having finished as a good runner-up. To be at home as well for the final by the luck of the draw was huge, and it was the luck of the draw. Um, so that did go in our favour. But the performances to get over the line against Austria and then Ukraine in a really emotional moment, as I'm sure you can appreciate and understand and you know being the the baddies if you like but um this huge outpouring <laughs> of, of welsh emotion i mean you're talking about the cultural aspect of it the welsh language has kind of come into um the welsh national football team a lot of late um the kind of national team goes by gummery um which is the the welsh um, word for wales and uh, the fa tweets in it a lot and there's kind of little jokes about it the players doing interviews in it more and a political song from the 80s called Ormauhid, which means still here is about kind of the welsh language persevering and surviving uh, through centuries and in fact wales through centuries the the song begins with the roman empire leaving leaving Wales behind, if you see what I mean, and then Wales existing since then. So to have the singer of that song, a guy called David Ewan, singing before the match, we're still here, despite everyone and everything, we're still here. Uh, and seeing 30,000 people singing that back was very emotional. And something I've never really felt as a fan before, let alone as a Wales journalist, it almost felt like we're going to win this. You know, usually I'm waiting for the disappointment, we're waiting for the um, the blow up, but the emotion and the kind of confidence flowing through from that moment was huge. And Wales got over the line with two fantastic Gareth Bale goals against Austria, and then a one win against Ukraine, in which Wayne Hennessy, like surprise selection in goal because he'd been our number one for years, but seemed to have finally lost his place. Surprisingly, kept it for the final after Danny Ward had been injured, and then made I think it was nine or uh, nine or ten saves, probably the best performance he's ever made in a hundred. 105 caps and Wales were going to the World Cup. Yeah, so as you said, it's the first time that Wales are in the World Cup since 1958. Yeah. So what do you what do you think it'll mean to you know hear the national anthem, to see the kits, and just I don't know, the vibe essentially. The vibe would have been extraordinary when you consider that the last World Cup appearance was so long ago. There's a good story about um, Mel Charles coming back from Sweden after the 1958 World Cup, coming back into Swansea train station with his baggage, um, having just been knocked out of the World Cup quarterfinals by Pele's Brazil and being asked by the train guard, no, you've been on your holidays, have you? And it's just wonderful to think how much has changed and how how all of Wales can watch us on the world stage. There's a festival in Wrexham, which is going to be superb. There's going to be a lot of fan parks going on all across the country. And I think there'll be a real kind of World Cup at home atmosphere about it because not too many people can go to the tournament itself, which is a real shame. But They'll be kind of singing loud and proud as the um, the Red Wall, the Walguk in um, in Qatar, and we'll do our best from back home. What I've been asking people is, how far can you go, and then how far will you go? 
the fact that we play England last in this group, the fact that you have to play them at all is gut-wrenching. As, as Michael Sheen put it in that famous speech, kind of going halfway across the world only to meet your neighbours, it's, it's nice to kind of feel like you're going on a world tour without having to be brought back to that again. But anyway, fortunately, the England game is the last game of the group, so the destiny is very much in Wales' hands before that. Um, the group itself is tough in the sense that every single team, all four teams in Group B, are ranked in the top 22 in the world, which is pretty extraordinary. That's not something that happens often because Wales were put in pot four instead of um, pot three as a result of, uh, well, it's a very indirect result of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, which is probably something they didn't consider at the time, to be fair. But um, <laughs> in terms of what we do next, Facing the USA in the first game, that is a not that is a must not lose. I was feeling a bit more confident about the Iran game. We know Iran make life really difficult, very good at nil-nils and one-nils, but they seem to be having a little bit of a disagreement over the summer about the direction they were taking. And now they've sat their manager brought back Carlos Quiroz, and he has just such a great success with them. And see where the England game, England game goes. In terms of you were asking about tactically earlier, it's um, back three seems pretty much wedded now. In- Wales are very strong down the left. Nico Williams had an up and down season at Nottingham Forest, but he kind of plays down the left for Wales and is then allows him to cut inside. And um, then you got Dan James creating space in front of him for him to be able to do that. And then behind them, Ben Davis is able to kind of step up and cover so that they can't can't attack down that side. So that that'll be an area of strength for Wales. And then of course you've got match winners in Bale if fit, Aaron Ramsey if fit. There's good attackers there. It's just about um, getting them to click at the right moments while keeping um, opposition at bay. Could go as far as the last 16, will go as far as the last 16, but they're then likely to face Holland. And in Wales history, Holland have played Wales 10 times and Holland have beaten Wales 10 times. Damn. All right, <laughs> let's do players to watch. Talk about Nico Williams again, who, as I said, right wing back usually for Forest or right back occasionally and has had a difficult season in the sense of how poorly they've been doing. But it was interesting to see, and I kind of made a note of it at the time, that in their first half dozen games or five, six games, he was in the top, I think, 12 players in the whole Premier League for shots on target. The whole Premier League playing as a right wing back for a team that had got basically no points at that point. He is very happy to get forward and have shots. And the fact that they're on target suggests that they weren't just all from distance either. He was having good opportunities. He's creating chances. He's just got an extraordinary energy about him. He does love a scrap. One thing I think that could be a bit of a weakness for Wales at this tournament, not all Wales fans would agree, but why would we, is that our younger players kind of um, are really up for a fight, which is a good thing because Wales have in the past been seen as a little bit meek and timid and unsure of themselves, but it can kind of boil over a little bit and it can be, are we disciplined enough here or are we too hot-blooded going into these games? You know, having a player, as happened in the um, Ukraine playoffs, screaming at the referee to F off <laughs> in the second minute of the game. I was like, we could do without a red card of that. But yeah, just said, Nico Williams, he, he might get booked, but he might score. He might do both. He might score and then get booked taking his shirt off who knows now about gareth bale mm. his, his last few years at club level haven't been great so do you think his club football affects in any way his level for wales or is he somehow impervious and he's always good for you guys the welsh national team is all impervious to club form it's baffling time and again they've shown that it doesn't necessarily seem to matter there's such a kind of club feel about the way they get together playing for wales they're all best friends they uh, train so well together a lot of them know each other from clubs as well lack of club form doesn't seem to have the impact it might at other uh, for other countries you want gareth bale perfectly fit 
luckily he's playing in America where he can um, he can get fit without being kind of overworked when he was rumoured to be going to the championship with Cardiff City. I think that would have probably knocked his legs off. But he's um, it's useful to have him playing. But yeah, the fitness issues are a concern. And Aaron Ramsey's an even bigger injury concern. He's playing in France now and doing all right, but he is on the pitch. But they are both concerns. And something that actually worries me a lot is if they're fit, they both start, understandably. They've got a great understanding together as well. But can they do 90 minutes three times in a week, essentially, or three times in eight days, nine days? I'm not sure they can, but then can you take them off if you're chasing a win? Do you take one off for the other? Not really, because they've got a great understanding. And so there's a little bit of a concern there. But they're such match winners that it doesn't seem to matter to them how much club football they've played. Who do you think wins the World Cup, Hugh? Despite the fact that the last, is it four or five now, have been won by different European countries, I do think Brazil looks strongest to win this one. So I've been holding on to this question. I could have asked it earlier, yeah. but in 2012, I didn't know that many British people. Yeah. And I remember I was watching the Olympics and that was the one where Ryan Giggs was captain and Aaron Ramsey was in the team. And I think, who's the guy that played for Liverpool and Swansea? Joe Allen. Joe Allen. Neil yeah, Taylor he... as well and Craig Bellamy. There were a few Welsh players. Right. Yeah. And I remember thinking, how come they don't do this all the time? Why don't they just combine everybody into one team and then you can have like an all-star team of British people? Then I start working more closely. I start writing for Bleacher Report and different things. And I'm more intimately involved with people from Britain or those islands. And I realize, oh, the cultural and political differences here are actually highlighted by the rivalries in ways that I don't think I'm right. I think it's actually good if England plays Scotland or Wales play England, like these different types of things are actually culturally relevant to where I understand why somebody would be adverse to the idea of combining everything into one. Even the language point that you, that, that you said at the beginning, like you would, you would sacrifice those things, especially if you're Scotland, Northern Ireland and Wales at the altar of England, essentially. Would you be curious to see a more team Great Britain at the World Cup? Or are you more happy with we're Wales? Yes, we haven't been there since 1958. But this is our time now. That was beautifully put, the way you put that, because I can see from your journey where where that realisation has come from. And because I think a lot of people, if you don't know the kind of situation behind it, you probably do look at the geographical situation and go, well, wait a minute, why aren't they just one team? That doesn't make sense. But then if you look at it closely, these are four individual countries we're talking about. Um, it's a bit of a myth that Wales is a principality, Wales is a country, England's a country. And so that's why they are their own teams in their own right. It's huge that Wales are independent as a football nation. You will see like one of the main chants of Wales is independent football nation. Uh, a common flag at all the games is um, no team GB. That one's been going around for a while. If you'll allow me to kind of allude to a swear word without swearing, um, Gareth go Bale's... For it, go for it, I can blank it out, no problem. Okay, I'll just, I'll just say that. Uh, Gareth Bale's main chant uh, relates to the 2012 Olympics you mentioned. He was um, meant to be playing in the Olympics uh, for Team GB. he um, been pictured up with it. I interviewed him about it, actually, and Aaron Ramsey. And um, he picked up an injury, uh, a kind of back, a back sprain had seemingly come out of nowhere, didn't seem to affect him after that. It was all a bit of mysterious. Uh, the Wales chant in relation to that is... Um, Viva Gareth Bale, Viva Gareth Bale, said he had a bad back, the Union Jack, Viva Gareth Bale. That, I think, sums up the feeling about it very strongly. You're not mm. going to see many, if any, Wales fans wanting a Team GB. And I do understand the question. So I love that you've, that you've realised the development of how it's come towards this. That's the answer you will get from 99.99% of Welsh people. I'm happy it's not as split as maybe it was in my mind because I'm totally in the camp of like, why would you just want Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey on a team GB? You lose so much 
cultural significance that it doesn't make sense. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad to hear it's 99.9. Last question. Sure. Is there any question that I haven't asked or anything I haven't asked that you think people should know or might want to know about Wales or the Welsh national team? One way or another, they're not going to die wondering. Rob Page went into the um, playoffs with an incredibly attacking formation that basically had a one-man midfield with kind of Aaron Ramsey and Harry Wilson, you know, attackers playing in central midfield alongside him. And we won the game and all of us thought, oh, that's a bit ballsy. Should we kind of maybe just lock it down a little bit and see if we can get over the line in the final? And he took out one of those attackers who'd been playing in midfield and he put a number nine on instead and basically played 3-1-6. So one way or another, even if it's going to be tight and low scoring, Wales is going to be going for everything at this World Cup. And I really hope that for neutrals and for people who want to learn more about the country as well, they'll learn a lot about the country, about what it means, about the language and about the sporting culture. I really hope we'll see that. I'm looking forward to it. Cool. Where can people follow you on Twitter, Hugh? I'm at the Hugh Davis, talking mainly about Wales, but also about lots of other football as well. Cool. Links will be in the description. Hugh, I thank you for taking the time, man. Thank you so much. I love being on it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Oh, say can you see? The United States of America. This group is full of interesting political so many rivalries. I want to give ages with, but I don't know how old you guys were in 98. Mm -hmm. But I remember when... Seven. Yeah, I remember when Iran played America in 98, and I was like, wait, why is this such a big deal? Because mm -hmm. it was such a massive, because, because again, I was young, so I was like, okay, why is this such a big, why? okay, it's just two countries. But I just remember that being such a massive deal that they were playing each other in 98. So America, look, no one has faith in this manager, man. So what's it, is it Berahalta or Berahalta? Um, yeah, yeah. I've seen his three players away, bad leading up, bad press, people don't have faith, and he now surprises everyone once the tournament starts. But for me, I just feel that I really feel America are the weakest team in this group. And I just see them struggling to make it through. You know, I just don't see them making it through. For me, I, they definitely lose to England. I don't see them beating Iran. And now Will's game can go either way. Carl, I'm what do you think about Pulisic? Because in America, like they have Lionel Messi, Cristiano mm -hmm. Ronaldo, Neymar. And then the fourth person in all of these things is Christian Pulisic. So he's being put on that level as like some guy. But oh, yeah, you know, the nickname is the LeBron James of soccer. Uh... And, 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 and again, from the outside looking in, from the outside looking in, it seems like he's being discussed as the greatest ever American football soccer player. He's the best. Not the greatest, he's the best. Don't I don't think he's earned that accolade yet. I think giving him ah, that title. It. Sorry, sorry. Ah, anytime, anytime, anytime I hear that word. <laughs> I don't I I think giving him such a, a nickname or, or accolade right now is is hurtful to his career. I think Pulisic is a good wide player slash inside forward. I think he's a he's a starting player on a team 
that's in the Europa League and I think is a squad option for a team that wants to be in the Champions League. So the current state where he is at Chelsea right now, where he sometimes plays 35 minutes and occasionally starts games and occasionally has a decent game, but never the most outstanding player for Chelsea is about right. I got to talk with Mike Goodman of the Double Pivot podcast. I love Mike Goodman. Yeah, he sat down with me. I don't know if we talked about XG because I don't remember, but here's that. I am Mike Goodman. Uh, I am the senior editor for soccer at CBSSports.com. And I also have co-host the Double Pivot podcast, which you can find wherever you get podcasts and on Patreon.com slash Double Pivot. How fast do you think football is growing in the States from maybe when you were in grade school up until now? Combined with that, where would you rank its popularity amongst you know, the four major American sports, football, basketball, baseball, hockey. Yeah, so it's growing in leaps and bounds since I was a kid, for sure. The amount of accessible major football on TV, on streaming services, it's just, it's night and day from where it used to be. It's growing in popularity with young people, especially, which bodes well for it, its future. On top of that, I think what people don't really think about when they think about soccer in America is that Spanish language soccer is even bigger Liga Mexis, the, the Mexican uh, domestic league, is the most watched league in America, or at least it was a couple of years ago. I, I haven't followed the numbers the last few years. But you put all that together, and what you have is a young, excited audience for soccer. In raw numbers, it's nowhere near the NFL. It's nowhere near the NBA. Or maybe at its peak, it can sort of glance up against baseball if baseball's having sort of a down year. But I think it's it, it's becoming to the point where it's fairly comparable with hockey. It's as much about who the audience is as it is the, the sheer size of the audience. So part of what happens is just like, it's a very desirable sport for companies that are in the business of broadcasting sports because the audience is so young. But also when it's used to drive subscriptions to subscription services as everything is now, it's also an audience that is very used to watching things online as opposed to over linear television. So you put all that together and it it really is growing in, in, in a strong way. American soccer talent has grown in leaps and bounds over the last decade, both talent that is developed and discovered within, within MLS and talent that is discovered outside of MLS. The best players don't tend to stay in MLS for the course of their careers. They, they broadly speaking, end up going to Europe at some point. I think that yes, the America can continue to develop as a soccer nation and be a top 10, top 15 nation in the world without MLS becoming an absolute powerhouse of a league. Can they become like top five? No, probably not. But I mean, I think that, you know, there's only five leagues. There's only five teams. Unless you're Brazil or Argentina, I don't think anybody in the world can be an international powerhouse without having one of the top leagues in the world. America didn't qualify for 2018 in Russia. What changed in those four years? So if you could describe for me how qualifying went and then maybe what tactical squad decisions you found interesting from Burhalter, I believe. Yeah, so Greg Burhalter's the manager. He comes in after they missed the 2018 World Cup. I think the really interesting thing is that the 2018 qualifying cycle for the United States was an absolute disaster. Jurgen Klinsmann to start the cycle, then they went to Bruce Arena for his second time managing the team. It was it was all very, very bad. And on top of that, they were sort of in between generations of talent. The Tim Howards, Clint Dempsey's, Landon Donovan's of the world were aging out or had aged out. And the sort of generation of players that's led by Christian Pulisic had not arrived yet. 
And I think the most interesting thing is that missing the World Cup in 2018, which even despite all that never should have happened, sort of obscured the degree to which there really was a lot of young American talent being developed at the time. And I think more than anything tactical, more than the setup, more than sort of who's playing where, the major difference between this cycle and last cycle is simply the talent of the players. Christian Pulisic at Chelsea, Weston McKinney, Juventus, uh, Tyler Adams going from RB Leipzig now to Leeds, Brendan Aronson going from RB Salzburg to Leeds. These are guys who are playing major minutes for major European clubs, and there's a lot of them. Gio Reyna when he's healthy at, at, at Dortmund, Tim Weah in, in, in France. This degree of talent that the U.S. has now is just simply leaps and bounds better than where they were in 2018 or even 14. The U.S. men's national team has games against England, Iran, and Wales. Two of those games especially carry significant political weight, I would say. What do you think are the expectations for this group stage? The expectation for this team should absolutely be getting out of the group. I think once I take my Homer glasses off, it's not clear that they will get out of the group. But they should. And if you're if you are a supporter of the US men's national team and you are thinking of like what does it mean for the United States to be good at soccer? Well, what it means is when you get drawn into a group with England, Wales, and Iran, you should be the second best team. Wales is a tricky opponent. I mean, they should be better than Wales, but Wales is a tricky opponent. And if you know, the joke I always make about Gareth Bale on Wales is that I have a ton of respect for him retiring from the club game to focus on international duty. He is very good for Wales, even as though even as he has not been a particular presence on the club stage for the last three years. Iran is also a good team, although, as you sort of allude to, it is unclear what the current arrest in Iran will mean. But I think if you're the United States, you should be looking at the Wales and Iran games, and you should be thinking, those are games that we should go into, we should approach them as if we are the better team, we should look to dictate play, and we should look to put six points on the board from those two games. England's another matter. England's one of the best handful of teams in the world. If, if you get pinned back and have to counterattack against England, I think that is totally fine. If you can get a point from that, I think that is job well done. And then if you get out of the group, who knows Who knows what draw you get? You know, the last experience that the United States men's team had in, in the knockouts is 2014 against Belgium, where they got totally outplayed. But Tim Howard stand, stands on his head and makes 14 saves, and you find yourself <laughs> an extra time against Belgium, right? It's a knockout tournament. At that point, anything can happen. Christian Pulisic, he hasn't had the greatest time at Chelsea, I would say. Some really hot moments, but mostly cold. Do you think his club form affects his performance for the national team, or does he generally perform well at international level, would you say? If he's healthy, even if he's not playing great for Chelsea, I will not really be concerned about him. He is not the first player, and he will not be the last player to go to Chelsea as a good but not great player, struggle for minutes, but also be priced out of a move. This is a very common thing for good players at Chelsea. It doesn't concern me at, as sort of like an assessment of him as a player that this is what's happening to him there. And I think he'll be fine at the World Cup. Now, I, th I think there's a possibility that this team just, they've got a lot of players sort of in Pulisic's boat who have either not played a lot of minutes due to injury or find themselves on the outs at the wrong moment in a club. There's a chance all of them just don't come together and gel. I absolutely think that there's a chance that they don't get out of the group stage because all of this stuff is happening. But I wouldn't pinpoint Pulisic as the guy to, to sort of focus those concerns on. Let's do players to watch then. I think Tyler Adams has the potential to be one of the best defensive midfielders 
around. When you put him at the base of midfield and give him the responsibility of stopping other teams' attacks and sort of distributing the ball relatively conservatively, he's great. He's getting a run of play now at Leeds sort of for the first time in a, in a number of years consistently and, and, and playing well, I believe. But I think that if this team were to do well, it by necessity kind of means there's going to be a game or two where they're very much under pressure. And to me, Tyler Adams is the guy in that midfield. A little bit of an unsung hero, a little bit of the dirty work, but is like has the ability to sort of put in one of those games where you're like a one-man midfield wall stopping everything that tries to go by you. Who wins the World Cup, Mike? It is poetic. They have been playing great. And I just sort of think Argent- it's, it's, it's Argentina's year. Okay, this is my sneaking question, one that I've thought throughout the course of the interview from the very top. Is there merit in your mind to the idea America would dominate soccer if their best athletes played? This idea that... Imagine LeBron James as a striker or imagine Russell Westbrook in midfield or these Travis Kelsey as a goalkeeper. Like, <laughs> is, is, is there merit to these ideas? So we, we talk about this question a lot as Americans. You know, what if our best athletes played soccer? And I do not think the way to answer that question is to look at the guys who are the best baseball, basketball and, and American football players and say, what if those guys played soccer? I think the athletes that would turn into America's best soccer players are more often the guys that play American sports, but for one reason or another are slightly awkward fits, but don't ever play soccer. So it's the guy who's a little too short to be a great point guard. So he sort of tops out at college level because he's 5'10". Those are the kinds of athletes that to me, America misses out on. Instead, they play baseball, they play basketball, they play football, they never pick up a soccer ball. You look at soccer players, Cristiano Ronaldo's big for soccer. He's 6'2". He's barely a point guard. You know, you look at Andres Iniesta. (laughs) Andres Iniesta's 5'6". He never would have made the NBA. But there are a lot of 5'6 guys that play basketball and never play soccer in America. That's the pool of athletes that when you're talking about where are America's best soccer players, it's finding those guys. It's finding, you know, like Phil Lamb or or Joshua Kimmich are guys that would not be great athletes for American sports. But if they grew up playing American sports, they'd never become great soccer players. LeBron James is too big. Yeah, he's too big. That's 100%. Now, there were like like NFL cornerbacks are guys that maybe could Mike, could be... I've always I've, I've always thought cornerbacks and wide receivers. Those yeah. are the like if you Tyreek Hill perhaps. Yes. I don't know what it is with Americans. They think like height and strength equals dominance as if like Shaq would be a great footballer. No. Maybe Allen Iverson would have been an amazing soccer player. Like, you could make that argument. He was so rare in basketball because he was so small. It's the ex- – it's, yeah, so. <laughs> you I can don't tell know. I it's, thought a lot about this question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, I, it's, it's, it's a fun one, so I made sure to ask it. Last question. Is there anything I haven't asked that you think people should know or might want to know about the United States men's national team? Depressingly, I was a lot higher on this team maybe two months ago than I am now. And I think I alluded to this at points, and you alluded to it with Christian Pulisic. Because it's not just Pulisic. It's Weah who hasn't played minutes. It's Gio Reyna who's been hurt. Weston McKinney, who is mired in the middle of, of, of just a team-wide terrible season at Juventus. At goalkeeper, Zach Steffen is playing very poorly in the championship and got hurt. Your, maybe your number one choice is backing up at Arsenal, so he's only playing Europa League minutes. 
and the big thing is this team doesn't have a striker. Jesus Ferreira plays in MLS, might start. Ricardo Pepe, who was having a great year in MLS last year, moved to Germany, was terrible. Uh, are you saying there's no Josie Altador, Mike? <laughs> there is no Josie Altador. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, mean, I can the help fact, myself. The, the, fact, the fact that, like, the thing that there isn't is Josie Altador sort of tells you exactly how far down the list we're going here. Uh, Jordan Pifak at, at, at Union Berlin is maybe the best performing American striker, sort of, but has not really in the last year been a part of the American setup. So there's this gaping hole at nine, which is concerning. And so there is just this real chance that the vibes are wrong. Mm. Just that, like, despite all the talent, the vibes around all these guys coming into this tournament are bad. There's two ways to look at it. One is like, look at all this American talent. It's way ahead of where it's been. The other is this American talent is probably in a worse place now than they were four months ago. It's a depressing place to leave it, but we'll yeah. leave it. And, you know, the games must be played. So we'll see. Mike, where can people follow you on Twitter? At the M underscore L underscore G. Check out cbssports.com slash soccer, where I write, but more importantly, all of my writers write and do a tremendous job covering the game. All the links will be in the description. Mike, I thank you for taking the time, man. Thanks a lot, Daniel. I appreciate it. The big boys of the group, England. Carl, I'm going to let you run. You talk to me about how you feel about your team if you claim them in that way. <laughs> I really want this to go well for, for England and Gareth Southgate. Although when I say go well, I mean just not embarrassing. I, I think England's time for winning tournaments on the Gareth Southgate is probably past. They have, they strike me a little bit like Pochettino's Spurs, where they were too young to capitalize on the best opportunity to win a trophy. And now mm. even though the squad is stronger, the opportunity has passed because the rivals around them have also sorted their acts out together. Southgate plays sufferable, similar to Deschamps, similar to Santos at, at Portugal. So it's this style of football where you are quite conservative and you more or less kill off 20 minutes per game because you just want to maintain solidity and retain possession in the middle of the pitch. So there will be 20 to 15 minutes when you watch these England games at the World Cup and you will be bored deliberately because that's how he wants to, that's how Southgate wants to play. Raheem Sterling's Euro 2020 was the best tournament a person had an England shirt in the 21st century. Harry Kane needs to be have a good tournament because I'll put it this way. Have hope. What do you think about Harry Kane winning the Golden Boot at 2018? Meaningless. He's okay. he, he he starts putted against an island. Okay, so what we need we need to have we need Harry Kane to have a meaningful World Cup. What, what I island? Term... What island did he? What what island? Panama. Panama. Panama is not an island. <laughs> it sounds like an island, and I'm and I'm, and I'm calling this an island. So. Uh, Panama is quite literally attached to North America and South America, and then I had to dig a canal through it. It's not an island, but go ahead. It's an island. The spine of the England team at Euros was Pickford, Maguire plus Walker, Phillips plus Rice, Mount, and then Sterling plus Kane. The the spine of the team at the World Cup will be Pickford, question mark, because Harry Maguire is in terrible form. Kyle Walker is injured. John Stones come back from injury, and there's a space at centre back. Rice plus Bellingham plus Mount probably. The starting front three should be Sterling, Kane and Saka. I think this England team will reach the last 16 and then they'll have a very, very big game in the quarterfinals, probably against France. It's going to be Denmark. Um, England can win the World Cup. 
It doesn't no, mean they'll oh, win the World Cup. I know what you're doing. No, no, why no, are you no, doing no, no, this? No, no, no. Why are you doing this? Let me, let me, why are let you me doing this? Let me, let's me explain. Let why me are you explain. making me nervous like this for? No, no, let me explain. It doesn't mean that they will win the World Cup. It doesn't mean they have a high chance of winning the World Cup. And it doesn't mean that they're one of the three, four teams to, 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 to win the World Cup. I'm saying that there is a chance for them to, if things fall in their way. Now, have England really beaten a top team at their best? Germany is the first legacy team they've, they've beaten ages and this is probably Germany's did you call them a legacy moment. team hmm? did you call them a legacy team yeah Germany yeah please explain the concept of a legacy team Especially a legacy team is that you are you consistently perform well at tournaments uh-huh so like Germany four World Cups I think they're the best performers at World Cups more than any nation in terms of how well they do and I think they have three euros two or two or three euros so they consistently do well throughout tournaments from since 1930 or so forth that's a legacy team Italy are a legacy team Brazil they're a legacy team so can they beat a top team legacy team at their best so if they run into a France cool not counter Pogba can you beat a France because it's still France Mm-hmm. Not can you beat? Can you if you run into an Argentina, you run into a Brazil, you run mm-hmm. into a Portugal? Can you beat them? That is still a question that I'm not sure what the answer is. You know, so because again, they ran into a legacy team in the Euro final against Italy. You know, three blacks missed a, a penalty. So hey, 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 um, hey, 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 what are you doing this for? <laughs> <laughs> doing? It's 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 how the Daily Mail what? and the tabloids put it. So <laughs> exactly. you know. I have a, I hate Ooh. how you don't say black people, man. <laughs> So much. You you always say blacks. It's just like, oh, it's, it's like, like so, South Africa. It's so black. violent. No, like black. It's like one. Well, syllable. that's Ugh. how it was put forth in the newspapers, but so the, the blacks. No, no. Okay, but seriously speaking, no. Look, my thing is, um, if they run into that, those big teams, can they beat them? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But and here's and here's the thing. Last thing is that respect South Southgate. Don't insult South Southgate. England's best chance to win is Southgate's strategy. Don't think that you cannot play four three three free flowing full and attack. No, England's best chance is it's boring it's not fun but it's effective okay. hard to break down every man woman and then child behind the ball and you now pick off your chances through kane and sterling being effective and that's it so respect the gate all right so all right. i sat down with daniel story we had a really good conversation so hopefully you guys enjoy it here's daniel story my name is daniel story and i'm the the chief football writer for the i newspaper in the uk Cool. All right. How do you think England dealt with the fallout of Euro 2020, whether the result itself or the response to the penalties? And then maybe folded in with that. Is there an anticipatory attitude for this upcoming World Cup? I mean, I'll answer the second part first, because that's quite easy. No, there isn't, I don't think. Uh, And it plays into it plays into the first part, I think. Uh, Now, I might be reading way too much into this, but Basically, my theory is England were really bad at major tournaments for a long time, historically bad from from 1970 onwards, basically. It left us in a really weird position where we've always reacted negatively to major tournaments when they finish because something's gone wrong. We've either not fulfilled potential or we've not even made it or we've disappointed when we're there or the football's been kind of lethargic. And therefore, it's an easy reaction. It's just tournament's over. We were a failure. Let's have a big root and branch review. Let's sack a manager. Let's get a new guy in. Let's have this new era. And what happened 10, 15 years ago is that England decided they didn't want to carry on doing that. So they they started this program that they called England DNA, which looked at player development, looked at creating technical players rather than just passionate and physical players, looked at overhauling coaching, looked at our scouting and recruitment of young players. 
and did overhaul it, not only because of that, but largely because of that, England have improved and they've got the semi-finals of the World Cup and the final of the Euros. And it left people in a really weird position because the reaction is still negative. And that's really interesting to me because I don't really know how you deal with that other than by winning a tournament. And there is this sense, I think, slightly because England, the FA said it would be that England would peak in 2022 and this is one they're aiming for. And therefore, if we don't win the World Cup after reaching a semi and a final, everything feels like a step back. But only one team can win a World Cup and there are better squads in England out there. So it leaves us in a really weird position, I think. Hmm. So let's run through qualification. I mean, when you list the names, really the only challenge is Poland. But how would you describe it? Yeah, I mean, that that's pretty much how it happened. England are relentless at World Cup qualifying campaigns. They've lost one game, World Cup qualifiers, I think, since... 2005 they are ruthless in World Cup qualifying and and I think that we probably take that for granted in this country because as I say we've missed World Cups before we missed two in the 70s we missed one in the 90s and we've struggled our way through qualifiers at other times some of our England's biggest moments a win in Germany 5-1 in 2001 and beating Greece with a beck and free kick were because we got ourselves into a bad situation in qualifying and I think sometimes without that kind of risk in qualifying it can become quite perfunctory quite boring for supporters but we'd rather it than the alternative i watched through too many grim 1-0 wins and 1-1 draws to be annoyed at england topping qualifying group how would you say england are trending in the in-between time if you take into account nations leagues or other friendlies yeah it's impossible to to conclude unfortunately that it's anything other than a a downward trend, although it's a downward trend from a higher starting point in England have probably ever had since winning the World Cup in 1966, which is very difficult to maintain. There is this feeling that England have the greatest group of young players they've probably ever had, with the, maybe with the exception of the kind of ill-fated golden generation in the early 2000s. But there are a lot of technically gifted, young, exciting footballers. And therefore, when England don't win games and don't win them well, there will be negativity. And look, England lost 4-0 in the Nations League at home to Hungary. So they did lose games and they lost them badly. So slightly downward trend. It's a weird with the England squad. I mean, we might talk about this shortly, but what once looked a very strong squad maybe 18 months ago now has very obvious holes in it. In a way that makes Gareth Southgate, the manager's job easier in that his football makes more sense when there are gaps in the squad. But no, there is no doubt that things are not exactly peaking as we go into Qatar. Would you want to see him in further major tournaments in 2024 I guess it would be in the next World Cup or do you think this is coming to an end whatever cycle this is I think it probably is coming to an end like I'm a massive Gareth Southgate fan and and we all were through 2018 and to be honest through Euro 2020 in terms of where England got to the football hasn't always been brilliant but that you cannot doubt the achievement and the only one people really are doubting the achievement are kind of Twitter reply guys rather than any sort of national mood I think that has changed in the last three or four months. I was at Wolves' Molyneux for the 4-0 home defeat to Hungary and the atmosphere was toxic at the end of that. And I think that probably dictates that either Gareth Southgate goes and either reaches the World Cup final and wins it and decides himself, this is all I ever wanted to do. I've achieved it. I'm going to leave. Or whether England don't get there. And I think even if they don't get to the final, he will probably leave his post, which having signed a new deal would have to be a sacking. And that is... <laughs> quite harsh 
there's also not an obvious candidate to come next, which is relevant here. The FA have, I think, decided they don't want to go down the foreign manager route again. And that doesn't leave that many obvious names. But I've always said that's not a reason for keeping a manager you don't think is the right one. You see, like these are the surprise questions I don't know I'm going to ask. So, so, so when you say you're a Southgate fan, is that more because of the style of play or is it more how he handled being England manager? It started out by being both. Over time, it's shifted more towards the second into kind of what he is as a guy. When he took the job, England had, in their most recent major tournament, been knocked out by Iceland. In probably their most embarrassing major tournament defeat since 1950 lost to the US in the World Cup. <laughs> Damn. Uh, uh, no disrespect intended at all. Oh no no no! I am I am I was born in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. Let me make that clear. Very good. And and my last name, if you're wondering, is Ugandan. So I actively root against the United States. I just think it's funny you had to go back to 1950. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was humiliating because over time England have maintained their kind of arrogance of we invented the game and we should be the best at it, but had veered so far from international football as this like cherished place where players should peak because of the dominance of the club game and the money. And 2016 was an absolute embodiment of that it was very highly paid very famous very successful at club level players completely being unable to play as a team on the biggest stage and being completely undermined by a team that were the opposite of them if that wasn't enough to take over from he he took over on an, initially from an interim basis on Sam Allardyce who had been caught out after one game in a sting campaign by a national newspaper for <laughs> basically offering to kind of you know rub people's palms for talking about giving speeches and you know this was a circus Southgate came in he he initially calmed down that circus which was slightly easier because he had some qualifying games and England are brilliant at those but he then created this feel-good mood which seemed to create a platform for players young and old to be part of something incredibly special that we'd just not seen before certainly not in my lifetime you know I was born in 1985 and I was born with England challenging in you know, in the first World Cup, I remember Italian 90, but never with this kind of togetherness of it's us and the country's with us. And they had that in 2018. And they had it again for some of Euro 2020 after the slightly boring group stage. That should never be underestimated. Whatever happens in Qatar, Southgate achieves something genuinely significant in those years, because I don't think now there's there's basically an acceptance in the public or a demand in the public that we can never go back to those days where players don't seem to really care about international football. That's a really good thing. It sucks that this is the 32nd of 32 interviews, Daniel, because when you said my first World Cup was Italia 90, I was like, fuck, I should have asked everyone, <laughs> maybe as like just a fun question or just a more personal question, what was your first World Cup? So I'm born in 90, so my first one that I can concretely remember is 98. And it's always a fun question to know what was your first World Cup? So I'm thinking like, damn, but maybe that I'll, I'll have to write that one Do down you know what? for 26. Weirdly, if someone asked me which is the first World Cup, like you're like your World Cup, I would also mm -hmm. say 98. It should be 94 for me because I was old enough, but because England weren't there, it kind of passed me by as an eight year old. So it was, it would be 98. Would you have been allowed to stay up? I think, uh, <laughs> in fact, I know what would happen because I, I was living, it was just me and my mum. And the BBC in England did this. The World Cup was obviously on. So to celebrate it with no England, they did this kind of two nights of just pure coverage, uh, like football documentaries. And married. I remember there's a Maradona one and all this stuff. And basically she recorded it all and then kind of blackmailed me into doing chores so I could kind of watch <laughs> them on repeat. So that's what would have happened. So I'm glad England weren't there. 
do you see my point though? Like those kinds of stories you don't get unless you ask people really personal. But anyway, anyway, anyway. Um, so Wales, United States, Iran, some very heavy matches, both politically, intra-British, mm. if you want to put it that way, and also mm. on, on, the, on the world level. How do you think the group will go? And I've been asking, how far do you think your country can go? But then how far will they go? I think the group stage will be tight and it will be tense and it will be kind of gritty. And I think this is a far harder group than people in England are giving it credit for. It is the only group in the World Cup that has every team in it ranked in the top 20 in the world. Now, FIFA rankings aren't faultless, but that is an indication that there are teams that people think we should be able to take lightly and can't. Wales is horrible because it's a kind of, as you say, this kind of inter-British rivalry and there's a sense that we're the big brother that everybody wants to beat because we've kind of looked down on these countries and I completely understand if that's how they feel. USA is is the same, but for different reasons. And, you know, we struggled against USA when we've played them in the World Cup before. And Iran, I think, are a similar opponent than Tunisia were at the last World Cup, where England required a last-minute winner to beat them. So I think it will be tight and tense and gritty and it will provoke some criticism. And the question will then be, assuming England get through, and I think they should, how will they then grow into the knockout stages? Because if they win the group, they're probably likely to play Senegal, I guess, in the last 16 and then the most likely eventuality is France in the quarterfinals. And that basically is Gareth Southgate's cup final, because if we lose that, he will lose his job. If we win that, we can get to the final. That will be a very good job. I think they will probably lose to France in the quarterfinals. I was looking at the squad. I'm like, I have to ask one particular question. And the name that stuck out for whatever reason was Harry Maguire. Not for whatever yeah. reason, but, you know, um, what do you think about him in an England shirt as compared to a Manchester United one? It's very hard because with Maguire, your brain is kind of forced to deal in hypothetical situations. He is far better and has been far more reliable for, for England than he has been for Manchester United over the last year. Of that, there is absolutely no doubt whatsoever. He is still not un infallible for England, but he is better. The hypotheticals are, A, well, what if he makes one of those mistakes in the highest profile situation. What does that mean for Southgate? Because he's he has put all his eggs in the Harry Maguire basket. He has backed his man and he said we have to play him. And the other hypothetical question is, what would happen if England had better other central defensive options? And I don't think they do. I know there's a huge clamour for these fringe players to be in a squad, as there always is. And there's never be any better place to be for your reputation than on the fringes of an England squad. The, the time to change Maguire would have been a year ago, but he was OK a year ago. The time to change him was not three months ago when things got untenable at club level, because then you are effectively rebuilding your defence on the eve of a World Cup. So I fully understand why he stuck to his guns and thought, look, this is what's got me here. I'm going to stick with it. But I can't pretend that it won't make me hold my breath and gasp a little every time he charges up to the halfway line to try and make a tackle <laughs> all right so that was kind of like you put a coin in the jukebox and i make you say something about a player so i'm gonna <laughs> open it up a little bit one player you're excited to see at the world cup if they go i i honestly think if you surveyed 80 percent of england fans who have no club affinity they would choose jude bellingham not only this precocious very normal humble 19 year old kid who's wowing in the bundesliga and who has done really well in his England appearances to date. But he's also a difference maker in that team because he's one of the only players who can link the defence and defensive midfield and the attack. And he can do it in this kind of swaggering, stylish, gliding way that is just so good to watch. 
if there was one player in the squad who I wouldn't want to get injured, it would always be Harry Kane because we just lack anyone who has got the experience international level to replicate what he does. But in terms of players to watch, I think Declan Rice holding midfield and Jude Bellingham next to him is the key to England's success, basically. Here's my slightly fun question for you. You can go back to 1950 or before if you want. If you could bring back one English legend to fix a problematic area, who would you bring back and why? I would bring back a central defender, either Rio Ferdinand or John Terry. The the great irony of that, of course, is that that is complete nonsense because those players played time and again for England, including in major tournaments, and were part of teams that really let England down. And Maguire has been part of squads that have reached a semi in a final. But I think you'd go for the defensive leader, you know, a John Terry type, whether you'd go further back and go for a kind of Jack Charlton or just a defensive leader you'd need. And yeah, I'd give you my right arm for it now. <laughs> All right. Who do you think wins the World Cup? And I'll take England off the table if you believe in jinxes. Just think Brazil win it. Yeah, I've been sat doing these World Cup previews over the last couple of weeks and to try and work everything out with predictions. You kind of go through the little predictor and every way I do it, they don't get caught out cold. They just have such strength and depth. And uh, that half of the draw with them playing Argentina in the semi-final is is obviously monumental. I trust Brazil. I trust the players. I trust Chiche in charge. They want it for Neymar They want and they want it for Thiago Silva. And this just seems to be this perfect balance of young players coming through, players at peak age, and then older players who are thinking, we want to win a World Cup. We want to make up for the destruction of what happened to us in, in 2014. So, yeah, I'd go Brazil. All right, last question. Is there anything I haven't asked that you think people should know, might want to know something fun or whatever about England and the national team? The thing that really interests me about the England team is that if you just watched England at major tournaments, you get the impression that they have this like huge traveling band of supporters, which they do, and that those supporters are incredibly passionate and love the team, which they do. And actually, I think it underestimates the fact that the question that would probably be, does English has English football ever really loved its national team? I think that's a really complex question question or a question with a very complex answer about the difference between England fans and the English public because they are two very different things. Unpack that a bit. Well, the England team has an incredible support and it has this band of supporters who will, and I know some of them, who will follow them home and abroad, who will go to every tournament. And England loves its football. It's its national sport. It is so dominant as a cultural pillar above pretty much everything else, certainly above every other sport. And yet, the national team is quite often viewed with mistrust, probably because for a generation it promised so much and delivered so little and yet delivered so much in component parts at club level for very rich clubs, some of which Manchester United, for example, were kind of everybody loved to hate because they were so successful. And then this group of players came to England and just seemed to be form cliques and not really be able to click. And that let England down, you know, never more so than than 2010 and then 2016. And now there's this really complex relationship whereby because England have been good again, the public have kind of done that thing where they buy into them for three or four weeks and then just forget about it again and don't really care about England games again. So there's a really weird dynamic that whereby, let's say 60 million people or 50 million people in England, 30 million of them will care about England at a major tournament and maybe 5 million or 6 million of them will care about them in a qualifier because it just doesn't resonate as much. 
it's very unusual, I think, for a football mad country. Those are the kind of things that interest me even more than the football. It's just the social dynamics of everything. But anyway, Daniel, can you tell people where to follow you on Twitter? Yes. Uh, Daniel Story 85. And where can people get your work? Yeah, in the I newspaper or online on that website. And then I also do the Totally Football Show every Monday morning. Cool. Links will be in the description. Daniel, I thank you for taking the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I want to know who you guys think will leave this group. And I, and I need the order. I'm going to say England finished top and Wales finished second. I think, I mean, I'm trying to decide whether Wales or Iran. I'm going to go England, Iran. Hope, can I ask England, Iran, where do the USA finish? I think the USA will finish bottom. I'm, I'm going England, Wales, top two. This has been our group B, B preview. I want to say thanks to Aria, Hugh, Mike, and Daniel for helping us. We appreciate you guys for listening. Go back, listen to group A, and we've got group C tomorrow. I've been Daniel to look. You can follow me at Daniel to look. Carl, where can people get you? Anchorman616. Half of where can people find you? Half of ballhot.com around the corner. Talking tactics podcast, sometimes funny, sometimes serious, but always football. Sports Social Podcast Network.